0: once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. In which community do you want to live? In the peace and security of kept promises, commitments, and covenants with each other? Or in the chaos of private indulgence where commitments are made and broken on impulse? Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series, Questioning God, with this message entitled, Questioning God's Restrictions on Marriage covers Malachi chapter 2, verses 10 through 16. Thank you for joining us today.
1: We're in a series, and the series is called Questioning God. We're talking about the issues of Malachi's day, which were just a few hundred years before we come along to the New Testament era. So this is right at the close of the Old Testament writing. Malachi is going to be speaking on behalf of God. He's a prophet. Prophets are known for telling it as it is, hard as it may be. They were not popular for what they said, but they always communicated the truth of God. In this particular series, the people of Israel are being explored as we watch them as they are questioning God. They're questioning God's love to begin with, which we've already looked at. And when we question God's love, very positive, positive type of message because it's a, it felt like a hug, talking about how God loves us and how He shows His love for us and on and on. But then we came last week to a very tough and very difficult subject matter, and that was God's honor and how many of God's people then, and as I tried to communicate and illustrate now, tend to not honor God, though we say we're Christians, we we don't give Him our best. So we explored that. This week we come to a subject matter of questioning God regarding His restrictions concerning marriage. Because God has said there are certain things about marriage that He said in the Old Testament, they have now been again said in the New Testament, That's consistent through and through, and basically the message is this, you should only marry God's people, Number two, when you have married, you should keep to your marriage. Hold your vows. Do not forsake the spouse of your youth. Now, there are biblical grounds for divorce. I'm not teaching that as a subject matter. I want to teach what's in Malachi, hit the big, big, big subject matter. But know this there are biblical grounds for divorce. But outside biblical grounds, he says, no divorce. Do not divorce unless biblical grounds. So we're going to look at both of those. As we do, I'd like for you to look at the New Testament. As you see the comparing text in the New Testament as it says the same thing. We'll first look at 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14. That text simply says it this way. Do not be bound together with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness, So basically, don't be bound together with unbelievers. And he's talking about marriage particularly there. Do not do that. Then we come to, to the book of uh, Matthew 19, and we see beginning in verse 4 when he talks about divorce. He says, He answered and said to his disciples, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason the man shall leave his father and mother, shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So his disciples, uh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Now this is his disciples. They said to him, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? They're saying, isn't it okay? He says, he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not meant, it has not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. Now, the text is simply saying, you know, Moses did allow us to take the divorce. But he was not in doing so saying it was okay to divorce. He's saying now you've divorced. Now here's the deal. You need to have a certificate when you do that, even though it's wrong, you shouldn't have done it, because the wives need that certificate for their well-being that you have left aside. He's not saying it was okay then. Not at all. He does give a condition for divorce. It's called adultery in the translation here. The word pornania actually refers to sexual sins of different types and so forth and so on. But... There is also agreed among most all of the evangelical church through the ages that there is the cause of desertion, and that opens a huge issue. What does desertion mean? I'm not going to go into that, but that's where the church needs to come in and help give guidance in those difficult times. So not teaching that and going into detail, just know this, the New Testament, just like the Old Testament, saying the same thing, you marry the right people. And then stay married once you are. Now, having, having said that, I'm going to suggest that if you would like to have some great controversy in a discussion in your secular life, wherever you live, work, and play, just throw that subject matter out, talk about it, and say, and oh, by the way, let me tell you what I believe, and just see what you hear in response. Here's the sad thing, though. Today, you can go to the finest of churches— Gather the finest of the people of those churches and say, by the way, this is what I believe about marriage and divorce, and you say what the Bible teaches, what's been taught through the history of the church, you simply throw that out and watch the response that you get. You won't find much different. That is a sad commentary on where we are today. But let's just see what he has to say. Now, before I get into the text, and you can be turning now to Malachi 2, but I want to lay the foundation a little bit better. You need to know this, that the real heart issue behind what he's saying here is God's hatred for disloyalty. You need to know this. God despises disloyalty. And the truth of it is, you do too. I do as well. You can ask the staff who've been at Perimeter for a number of years. You just ask them, hey, by the way, what is it that Randy will not tolerate? If you really want to see him, because Randy doesn't raise his voice, and Randy doesn't get mad, and he doesn't push, and he doesn't, you know, come tell you. But I tell you, if you want to see him really get in a state you don't want to see him, just violate one of two of our values. And I can ask our staff, certainly who've heard it over and over and over again through the years, and they will tell you. Disloyalty and dishonesty Those are two things No organization can live with No relationship can live with And be healthy Certainly not the church Well the heart of this issue here Is disloyalty Disloyalty And he says What it is doing to me And the covenant that you have made with me And you're being disloyal to it is grieving, what it's doing to your spouses, what it's doing to your children. Disloyalty will ruin lives. He says, I want to see no disloyalty. Now, let me give you a a few quick stories, and then I'll read the text, go through it quickly, easy to understand as we walk through the text, and then I'll close with a few thoughts. first story, I was driving to Birmingham, Alabama, where Carol had been raised, and she was living at the time. And I had a question to ask her. I knew we had come to the place that we had expressed that we loved each other. But I had been in a long search to try to figure out what love was. And I'd come to an answer that was biblical, it was practical, it made sense to me, and I I understood what love was. And I'd done some evaluation to determine, do I really love Carol? And I knew the answer was yes. I knew that Carol cared a lot for me, and she had expressed that love. But what I had not heard was this question why do you love me and I was curious to know not do you think you love me but why do you love me and I knew that if I didn't hear the answer that I was hoping to hear that it would be the right thing for me to to not continue the relationship I was so nervous because I wanted the relationship to continue and I'll pick up that story in just a minute All right. second story I was, I was at the University of Alabama, we were in our, I was in my freshman year, I had not met Carol yet, I'm sorry, in my sophomore year, it was the first days of school, class hadn't even begun, I was with a good buddy, some of you might have picked up this story in a little book called Finding Your Million Dollar Mate that I've written, but maybe you've heard me tell the story, but it's worth for this particular message to tell it again if you've heard it, but, but I was uh, there with a good buddy of mine, and my buddy was familiar with the term Million Dollar Mate. I had been praying since I was in high school that God would take care of my wife-to-be if I were to be married. And so I had uh, been praying, God, wherever she is, if I am to be married, protect her, care for her. And I just finally started calling her my million-dollar mate, And my buddies had gotten accustomed to that little term. So we were there at a large girls' dorm. We were going to meet some folks there that we hadn't seen since uh, all summer, since last year. And we were there just socially to connect. And so we're walking in this big lobby area of this girls' dorm. And we see this girl walking across the back wall, totally across, across the room from us. Couldn't hear us, certainly. And this had to be the most beautiful girl I looked at her and I said, my goodness. Well, not only was it my opinion and my buddy's opinion, uh, she won the beauty contests in Alabama and she was this, that, and the other. And so anyway, I see her and I turned to my buddy. I said, you see that girl walking through there? And he looked and he said, wow, yeah, she is gorgeous. I said, you know what? If that girl met two conditions, I would say that's my million dollar mate. He looked at me, and he said, what two conditions? I said, well, one, if she knew me, and of course I knew she didn't, and number two, if she were a Christian, which I didn't know whether she was or not. I didn't even know it was. It's no sooner than I said this. Is this not an omen from the Lord, huh? She turns around, sees looks over, and she sees me, and she does this and looks a minute, and she comes toward me, and she says, Randy? Randy Pope? <laughs> I turned over to my buddy. I said, there's number one. <laughs> And my heart's, boom, 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 she walks up to me and she says, Rain, do you not, do you not remember me? And I'm, I'm thinking, how did I forget this girl, you know? And I said, no, I, where have we met? And she said, oh, we were on a, a, a conference, to, we were at a conference together, a Christian conference, and name the conference when we were in high school. Now, we're talking Christian conference, right? My buddy knew what I meant when I did this, Yeah. And number two, there it is. And so I'm already thanking God for my new bride. You know, this is good. And so anyway, we talked, found we had a few mutual friends. And as it turned out, uh, it worked out where we we were going to go out together. And so we did. And we had a date. and We had the best of times. And. Uh, went in that night. It was a Saturday, uh, gone to a football game. We've been together with a bunch of Christians and it was a great time. And I had every reason to believe that, you know, this girl was walking deeply with the Lord. I certainly would have thought so. And uh, we went home that night and it was obvious she would like to go out. I'd like to go out. And so, so I said, how about tomorrow night? Got a Christian meeting that I do lead the, the, kind of the MC of this thing. And I'll, I'll uh, meet you there and I'll walk home afterwards and whatever. She said, that'd be great. And so, I was so excited the next morning. Sunday morning, I woke up, and I remember waiting for my ride to go to church, and I was standing on a curb. I can remember it well. I was looking down at the curb, and I was consumed with the thought of this girl. I just met her. and She was attractive. I didn't know her at all, but she just was attractive. And so I just couldn't quit thinking about it. And I sat there under conviction, I said, This is the Lord's day, and I should be enamored with Him, not somebody else. And it made me think, Lord, I've got to be careful. I don't know this girl. And, you know, does she meet the qualifications for somebody I should be out with? And, and I said, Lord, I want to make a commitment to you right now. And I vowed a vow before him. I said, Lord, I will not go out with this girl after tonight if she cannot freely pray with me. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody has to have that standard. That was a standard I felt led of the Lord at that moment to do, and I made a commitment to him that I would not do so. And the next night that night, I knew I'd be going out and that I would ask her to pray with me and see what happened. I'll pick up that story in a moment. I've got to keep you here to the end somehow. <laughs> one last quick one. Uh, we had a, uh, Carol and I had a pastor in college, a great man of God, um, assisted in our marriage. And Brother Houchen, we called him, Brother Houchin, And uh, he, uh, he told the story of a girl that had come to him and said she was getting married and told who she was marrying and He said, now, he's not a Christian. And she said, I know, but we're madly in love. And he said, you know, you you shouldn't marry someone outside the faith. You love the Lord and you know Scripture and you shouldn't do that. She looked at him and said, Brother Houchin, it would be hell on earth to live without that man. We are madly in love. And they got married. I'll pick up the end of that story. All right? Now, turn in your Bibles and look at your, look at your insert and for your outline, if you will, and let's walk through the text. We begin with God's restrictions regarding starting a marriage, and He's going to give us two reasons that we are not to marry outsiders. In Israel, that would mean someone other than an Israelite. And for us, it would mean someone outside the church, meaning outside a true faith in Jesus. Uh, First, because it's disloyal to our covenant, I'd like to read verses 10 and 11. It goes like this. Do we not all have one father? Has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously each against his brother so as to profane the covenant of our fathers? Hold on right there. I'm going to hold you on verse 10. Do we not all have one father? Uh, there's debate in, in, in history of, of those that have been commentators of scriptures. some of the very, very finest, from Jerome to Calvin and others, have thought that maybe that's referring to Abraham. Do we not all as Jewish people have one father, Abraham? But uh, most commentators and scholars of Scripture would believe that this is really not talking about one father being a person as Abraham, but this is talking about do we not all have one father, God, and the next verse, the next word says, Has not one God created us? That probably the context suggests that. Note, remember this word treacherously, as I'll come back to it. And uh, notice profane the covenant of our fathers. That means the covenant with God that our fathers have made, which is an everlasting covenant that all believers are now a part of that covenant. Keep that in mind. Look at verse 11. Judah has dealt treacherously. There's that word treacherously. And an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem, for Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and, look what it says, has married the daughter of a foreign god. Now, the words dealt treacherously is a word that we would translate or understand as garment. The idea is a covering. A garment is a covering. And so he's talking about the people who pretend to be something they're really not. And the people he's talking about are these people who are marrying the daughters of a foreign god. Now, we understand that that has a twofold meaning. It can talk about spiritual harlotry, just spiritually you're going after other gods But we know the way it's written that it certainly includes and maybe has as the primary understanding the idea of mixed marriages. You're marrying those who belong to other gods. The daughters of other gods. You shouldn't do that. And that is his point. It leads to forsaking God now these people would know scripture they would understand that in the book of Exodus and Deuteronomy and first Kings God has made it very clear do not marry outside of Israel it is a sign of disloyalty to your God you have a covenant with your with your God and the covenant has stipulations now you understand that the 10 commandments are 10 stipulations of a love relationship between God and his people Do you understand that every law in all of Scripture, Old and New Testament, those that were for just Israel that no longer exist, and the laws that exist now that continue on, the moral law, all aspects of the law can fit somewhere under those ten. You truly can put every law under one of the ten. The ten are just a summary of the stipulations of love. And he's saying we have a covenant, and the stipulation of our covenant with each other is that you would not go outside the people of God in order to marry. There's the basic point and what he's so concerned about. Now the second thing he mentions is in verse 12 it disregards our children. Let's read verse 12 together. It says, As for the man who does this, may the Lord cut off from the tents, interesting term, cut off from the tents of Jacob everyone who awakes and answers Or who presents an offering to the Lord of hosts. Now, as he uses this cut off from the land of Jacob, it's the idea of wiping out. And uh, when he talks about those that awakes and those who answers, uh, that's an idiom. It's used to refer to those that awake. Hey, get up, you, my servants, get up. It's time to get going. The authority, those that are in leadership, masters but also those who answer, yes sir, yes, I will, I'll get up, the servants, those that are, are not those in authority. He's covering all people there. And then to make it very clear, he says, or who presents an offering to the Lord, even those that are doing the right things. But he says, what's gonna happen is, it's going to wipe out, literally. It is going to cut off from the tents of Jacob, You've got a generation to come. It's just going to cut it off. You're going to do damage to your people. Don't do that. And that's the basic teaching that he has in the text. Now, how do we present? uh, uh, How do we uh, uh, prevent this? Let me suggest, parents, you have got an important role in the lives of your children to help them get trained well. How do you marry strong? How do you marry correctly? doesn't mean that when your child does marry and follow the teaching that you've offered that it's going to be all easy sailing and everything will work well. There won't be problems. But I'm telling you this, we are asking for the greatest pain for our children they will ever experience when you allow them to move into the marriage that's going to eventually destroy them and ruin their heart and lives. And it's happened so many times. How many of us have experienced some kind of relationship with someone, maybe our own experience in marrying the wrong person. I had someone who came up with me after the last service and said, feel free to use my story. I did what you were talking about. And I was so confident. You know, oh, my spouse was, she she was so religious. She was so committed. And, but not of the true faith, not a real Christian. And I thought, fine, this is going to work. Said it's brought more pain and heartache to me and my family than you could ever imagine. I said, well, of course that's that is so true, isn't it? I'm going to say to you that are young people, to kids, youth, you that are single and looking toward marriage, maybe you that are older who have, are, are maybe looking to remarry, and you 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 have the right to do so, biblically speaking, if that be the case. Please, please, please. Find the right people. Marry inside the family of God. That is where you always want to marry. I am so tired. I've heard this so many times over the years. Somebody said, I'm getting married. And I said, great, who is it? They tell me. I said, well, tell me a little bit about them. They tell me about them. I don't hear anything about them spiritually. I said, well, look, is this a Christian you're marrying? And I've heard this too many times. Yee yes, yes, yes. I, I, yeah. Yeah. They're, they're Christian. I say, don't marry them. You need to be able to say absolutely. Will they always walk with the Lord. I don't know. not the future, but I can tell you this. They walk with the Lord now. I can tell you this. Their hearts are truly after the things of God. Very, very important. Let me, let me suggest two, let me make two suggestions to you. Uh, young people and parents alike. Here's what I would suggest. And this is certainly to those that will be married, but parents, you need to help instruct this as well. Number one, make your highest value in choosing a date or mate their spiritual qualification. Now, you understand that man has a body, and I say mankind. Men and women have bodies, the physical, and that's very attracting to one another. Are they attractive? Are they not? And so forth. That's one part of a relationship. And does this person attract me physically? There is a personality, personality made up the mind, emotion, and will, and that's another attractant. And say, you know, well, what, what are they like? What's their person like? Do I enjoy being with them? What does it do for me when I'm with them and so forth? And that's an important part too. But do you realize that that's where the world has to stop? They say, okay, you got a body, you got a personality, I like them both, let's get married. Well, the reality is both of those are in decline from the day you get married on. <laughs> they are. They're not getting better. They're getting worse. And we say, I wonder why my marriage is getting worse. But, you know, I learned as I was seeking out the understanding of what love is and so forth, and that's why I wrote that little book, Finding a Million Dollar Mate, where I could illustrate this and all. But I realized, no, there's a, there's a part of the being that's called the spirit. And the people that I interviewed and asked, older in the Lord, godly older men, uh, tell me, what is it? How did you find your love to keep growing? They said, "Oh, no, those other things they diminish, but it's the spirit of the person." And second Peter, oh, what a great text where it says, "On top of faith, add moral excellence; and on top of moral excellence, add knowledge; and on top of knowledge, add self-control; and on top of self-control, add perseverance; and on top of perseverance, add godliness, and on uh, uh, Christian uh, uh, brotherly kindness; and on top of uh, godliness, brotherly kindness; and on brotherly kindness, add Christian love." And then it says this, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, and I found out that's the way you have the hope of a great marriage. You lock in first and foremost, not only, but first and foremost on the spirit of a person that's growing in those arenas of character. And that's what you're looking for when you try to find the right mate. Go back to my my Birmingham story. I was driving to Birmingham to ask Carol the question, why do you love me? And if she said, Randy, you're just so handsome. I knew that was a possibility, and <laughs> I, I, I knew that was not, no, one word about that. But, but if I heard her say, you know, I don't, I don't know, I just love being with you. you, I don't know, I just enjoy you, I just care about you. And if I heard just a bunch of mush, then I want to say that's not good enough, and we shouldn't be getting married. I was very, very thankful. I knew why I first loved her was because of her heart. I loved what I saw in her heart and character and life, and her personality and beauty were just added extras for me. But it was the heart of who she was. I knew that's why I loved her. And when she told me Randy, it has to do with who you are in your life, your walk with the Lord, and she started hitting the right things. And when I heard it, I said, "This is a marriage made in heaven here. This is what we want now." And I'm going to tell young folks that's what you want. As well. No question. My, my uh, brother Houchin's story. The girl said. Brother Houchin, It would be hell. On this earth to live. Without this man. A year later. He told the story that she. Came to him. And weeping and broken said. Brother Houchin, I now. Am experiencing. Human hell. On this earth. He had married her. Or she had married him. Greatest pain of her life. And that's going to happen to a lot of us young people that are here. If we just say, let's go see if she's attractive. Let's go see if he's got a good personality. Let's go see if, and let's get married. And it just seems to be the right time. And we just happen to knock, you know, we just like it. Works out. No, you do not want to do that. Let me give you a second suggestion. It goes like this. Set a standard to protect your commitment to prioritize the spiritual qualification. So I was, I was standing on that curb, and I knew, you know, Lord, here's a commitment. I got to make this, and I did, and I walked from there, and as I was about to leave, get picked up, I said, God, I'm going to make a commitment to you. I need to protect myself, and I'm going to make this commitment, and the commitment is that I will not, I will not go out with her unless I can pray. So we happened to be through the meeting, and we were walking across the big quad at Alabama, and there wasn't a person on the quad. There was nothing to be embarrassed about. We were talking about a mutual friend who was struggling spiritually. So we're in a spiritual conversation anyway. We came to a big old tree there. Remember, and I said, hey, let's just step over here for a minute. Let's pray for so-and-so. And when I did, boy, she made it clear. She did not pray with somebody else. That was not her intention. She would pray privately alone, but not with me. And she made it real clear. And inside, I'm screaming, no, pray with me. <laughs> but she didn't, and I never asked her out again. That was it. And I found out in time she was not uh, giving any evidence of being a true follower of Christ. There was no spiritual life that I saw from that point, from all evidences that were made pretty clear. And I said, God, thank you. You protected me, didn't you? And I'm going to say to some of you young people, you protect yourself. Ecclesiastes 5, go to it. When you vow a vow before God, defer not to pay it. Pay that which I vow. It's okay to make vows, but you need to make them rightly and say, God, this is a commitment I'm going to make to you. I'm going to have some standards. Ask what the standard should be. It may not be my standard. You may not agree with that one. That's fine. But come to a standard that will protect you. I will assure you, you will never regret that move. Okay? Now, let's look at number two in our outline, and it's very quick and easy to understand. Fairly easy to understand. God's restriction regarding the ending of marriage. He gives us three reasons why here. Number one, it breaks our fellowship with God. Verse 13 reads this way. This is another thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, and with groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. Hold on, 13. Let me say this. The weeping he's talking about here and groaning, it could be their own groaning. Oh, God, why are you not meeting me? God, why it's probably referring to the, the, uh, the weeping and the tears of the women, the spouses that have been abandoned. Probably is what he's referring to. Note to that next verse, verse 14. Yet you say, for what reason? And this is the diatribe we've talked about the last couple of weeks. He says, but you're going to say to me, for what reason would you not allow me to be in fellowship with you? because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. And so he's saying it breaks fellowship with God to begin with. This last verse we've just read goes on verse 14. It violates our spouse. And that's what I just read. It violates our spouse in verse 14. And then, and then it... Uh, Is going to say thirdly it deprives our children verse 15 and 15 reads this way but not one has done so who has a remnant of the spirit and what did that one do while he was seeking a godly offspring take heed then to your spirit and let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth that is a tough thing to interpret And I had all kinds of things. I was going to go through explain the words and everything, how you could understand it. It would take me four or five minutes. And I found a, uh, a, 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 a commentator, Walt Kaiser, who's excellent, and he said it in such a concise way. I think this expressed what I was studying and believing anyway. Let me just read his statement. It goes like this. This is what the text is really saying. Why did God make Adam and Eve only one flesh? When He might have given Adam many wives for God certainly had more than enough of the spirit or creative power to furnish many partners however because God was seeking a godly offspring he restricted man and woman to a single bonding for he knew that a plurality of mates for either partner was not conducive to raising children to the glory of God I think he says it quite well. There's verse 16 that kind of caps it off, which is basically going to say, I hate divorce, and I hate those that bring about divorce. It says, For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel, and him who covers his garment with wrong, says the Lord of hosts. So take heed of your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Now, as I've said, there are biblical grounds for divorce. Be careful. Don't exceed what the Bible says and make it more restrictive than he says. And there are those that are doing that. They say, oh, no, 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 no. You can't ever, 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 ever marry if you've ever been married before. You cannot remarry. That is not true. There are biblical grounds. He hates divorce. But there are exceptions where he allows it because, as that little statement uh, he allows that which he hates to accomplish what he loves. Sure, he still hates divorce, but it doesn't mean he doesn't allow it. It doesn't mean he's against it for you in that situation. Keep that in mind. Now, I'd like to end my time by, by just practically speaking a minute about this whole idea of the thinking today of the, the church even. Here's the thinking. I'm in a horrible marriage I can't say I got biblical grounds according to scripture, but I'll tell you this, it is so bad, you can't understand, and I can't, you can't, it is so bad, I know God wants me to get out of this marriage, and he is permitting me to do it, and what they'll do is they'll push it under one of the two reasons somehow, and stretch this and stretch that, and I said, well, wait just a minute. What makes you think God says it's okay? Because I know he doesn't want me in this marriage. It's too bad. It's too painful. Do you know why a person would say that? Because they have a very faulty belief. And remember this, young people. A man or woman's morality will dictate their theology. When you want to believe something, you will find a way to believe it if you want it with all your heart. And so, oh, yeah, I think God wants me to do Wait, wait, wait. Why would God want you to do it? Because God does not want me to have this kind of pain. Oh, he hates this kind of pain. But are you saying God is never apart, part, have anything to do, is left out of control, is no longer sovereign over problems? Can you explain to me why he would say, as Paul quotes it, he says, you know, here's the way it works. God said, I I will have to, right when he's converted, I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake. What? Well, people say, well, if I can get out of marriage and I don't like it, it's hard enough, it's painful enough, then God wants to be happy, I can leave. I say, well, you know, how does it work if you're a paraplegian? Now, that person God's sovereign over too, what happens when you've lost a child like some of you have? Is God going to say, Well, that one I'm not over either? I didn't have I can't help you. I'm sorry, I was without. No. God is a God allowing things he hates with all of his heart. But he does it in order to show his love. Put it this way Imagine that God had said, Okay, if, you're, if, you're, if your marriage is really so painfully bad and unhappy, you're okay to divorce. Go ahead and divorce. I will guarantee you the pain from that divorce. That type of a culture and a life where divorce is allowed under those conditions, just let divorce go, the pain that would be brought to society would be so much greater than the pain experienced from people staying in the marriages. And I know some of you are the victims of divorce and you know what pain is. And let me tell you, some of you have caused that pain on other people. And you've got to hear this God forgives as far as the east is from the west, he forgives. Gone. But that means it's gone because there's a repentant heart. And you come to him and admit what you did was wrong. If you're about to divorce, if you're about to marry someone outside the Lord, repent. That's not to say it's wrong and I'll go do it anyway. It's, oh, it's wrong and I... And I ask you, empower me by the work of your cross. Empower me by the work of your spirit that I would not violate my covenant with you, my covenant with my wife, my covenant with my husband. I will not hurt my children. I'm going to hold to the marriage. If you give me biblical grounds and then I'm led outside, only then will I leave. And by the way, don't try to make the decision on your own. When you're in that kind of pain, you can't think well. Let the church who God instructs to come along and to have the authority to help you through that problem, let them weigh in on that decision. But remember, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. You're in a bad marriage, God can still use you. You've been divorced, God can still use you. He will use you. If you're in a bad marriage, don't divorce because you're married to a non-Christian. Two wrongs don't make a right. You say, no, 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 no. God's called me into this now. Is it going to be a struggle? Maybe so. But watch how God can use your struggle to benefit others, which is why we're here anyway, right? So look at all things under that big picture. Go to the cross. Remember his love. And remember, just because something goes wrong in your experience and things are as bad as they could be, it doesn't mean he doesn't love you. We covered that week one. Never forget his love. As we pray together, let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask, grant us to be able to be faithful in our marrying and in our remaining married. Keep us, we pray. And Lord, help us to turn to you and to truly repent of our sin. Whatever it is, we come to you and say, we are so sorry, forgive us. And thank you for the power of your spirit. Enable us through that work that you have provided through your son's death to empower us to the end of obedience that you and others would be honored. We pray in the great name of Christ our Savior. Amen.
0: You've been listening to the Perimeter Church podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia.